Hello and welcome to iPod, the College of Optometrists podcast, where we explore the profession and the fascinating world of vision and eye care, discover new ideas and research, and learn from others' experiences. Today, it's with me, Denise Voon, Clinical Advisor to the College, and I'm talking with Jane Vays, who some of you may know as our Clinical Editor of Acuity, about her passion for volunteering. Hi, Jane, and welcome. Hello, Denise. Thank you for inviting me to join the College podcast. Now, we're really excited to be talking to you about um, your all the voluntary work that you've done. But I just wanted to start, really, um, a lot of our listeners might not know. Can you tell us a little bit about your career in optometry? Yes, I'll certainly give it a go. Um, it's quite frightening, actually, to look back and realise my career has actually spanned almost 40 years now. Oh, wow. So I completed my undergraduate degree in Manchester, um, had a pre-reg in a house practice in Sheffield, and once qualified, continued to work with the same small group uh, in the wider Sheffield Rotherham area, which was really valuable experience for me because I worked in a variety of practices, comparing relatively affluent areas with some areas of um, real deprivation. So, um, and alongside work, I also completed one of the first modular MSc courses at Bradford, which helped continue, you know, my personal um, Academic curiosity, I suppose, would be the way to describe it. I then moved on to Nottingham to get some management experience to manage a small contact lens clinic there, which uh, was part of um, a larger group of clinics um, led by the entrepreneur Peter Millican. And finally, I then took a year out, um, a working holiday in Australia, I suppose, and um, gained my first research experience um, at Melbourne University. Um, and then... Um, uh, a, a small time at the CCLRU in Sydney, which is now known as the Brian Holden Institute. So that was a real insight into, into, into the world of research. Um, and that was uh, a, a great experience. So returning to the UK in the early 1990s, um, I joined Professor Efron at the first, as their first research manager for the newly formed European Centre for Contact Lens Research. Um, became a clinical advisor and did some part-time lecturing um, and I almost embarked on a PhD but then along came my dream job which I suppose combined my passion for clinical work education and research and that was a professional affairs role in the contact lens industry um, at Visticon which is now Johnson Johnson Vision Care um, where I went on to spend 25 years of my career progressing from a UK role to a European role and then more latterly, a global role. Um, so, and that took me to 2018 when I retired from corporate life, um, but felt way too young to fully retire. So <laughs> I've opted to involve myself in a range of eye health projects, which interest me. This is a mix of paid and voluntary work. So as you mentioned, I'm very privileged to be the clinical editor of Acuity. Um, uh, but I also combine this with a number of um, uh, charity uh, work and I'm trustee for Berkshire Vision, which is our local sight loss charity, which supports over a thousand members locally living with visual impairments. I mean, that's amazing. You've pretty much done almost all of optometry that, that's available, really. So that, that is, it's really fascinating. I'm just curious how, despite having such a career, you were able to fit in any volunteering at all. I mean, when, where did it all begin? Oh, gosh. Um, well, so I suppose it began 
I don't know. I suppose I've always volunteered a little bit. Um, uh, I, I, when my children were young, I joined the parents' association at my son's school. I suppose that was the first regular volunteering I did as a as a working person. Um, and as a working mum, this allowed me to build a connection with the school. I suppose meet other parents and staff. Meetings were always in the evening. Um, workload wasn't onerous. Um, I made sure it could fit in with family life, and it was, I suppose, my first exposure to to sharing out um, activities with a team of like-minded volunteers. Yeah, and that's and it's such an important role, certainly with the PTA, um, and I'm sure some of our listeners have been involved with their with their schools. I'm always surprised how much the school benefits from having the parents sort of helping out, certainly with fundraising and, and that sort of aspect of it. Is, is that what um, sort of originally inspired you to sort of get involved? Was it to help the school or was it you, were you looking for some volunteering? I think it was to, to stay connected with the school. I'm sure, as most parents know, children aren't that good at giving you all the details. <laughs> And I think as a as a working parent as well, um, there were less opportunities to meet at the school gates. Um, and so it was my way, I probably very selfishly, of, of, of trying to get connected um, with um, with where my son was spending or my sons were spending um, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fundraising element or the, the organising activities was was probably secondary to that. From my personal point of view. Yeah, so that's that's great, isn't it? Because volunteering doesn't necessarily need to be about completely selfishness motivations. It can be about what you need to get from it as well. And I think that's a really nice way to think about it, that it's it's a two-way process. It isn't just yeah. you're having to sort of give up your time, martyrship type thing. Yeah, no, I, I just, was just thinking, actually, then, when you, you were asking where I first started, actually, before the, the Parent Teacher Association, I remember when my youngest son was two, I decided I just wasn't fit enough, you know, but sort of um, having family and working, it, I just needed to get a little bit fitter. So I remember volunteering to raise money for the National Eczema Society, actually, which was a worthwhile cause that mattered to me because I had um, family members that suffered with eczema. Um, and I ended up cycling around Iceland. Um, oh, wow. Uh, actually, so I should I should clarify that, say the bottom left-hand corner, not the whole country. <laughs> um, and, and this sort of, I suppose, combined my, my desire to get fitter with traveling in an amazing country and raising money at the same time for a worthwhile cause. So it, it I suppose it's, it is a little bit of win-win for both. Yes, and it definitely, I imagine, would be a lot very motivational as well with so many different benefits and pulls towards doing something like that. If you thought perhaps, oh, i just do a holiday, you might put that back because there's other places you might want to do or other things you might want to do. But combining that aspect of knowing you're doing good um, can, can be really inspiring. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think you mentioned before, as sort of, Perhaps even before that, did you run um, Macmillan Coffee Mornings? Yes, I suppose um, uh, that's, um, um, I'm trying to think when that first started. So that first started when I um, moved to a new village um, and um, uh, it was my way of, uh, I suppose, I thought, how do I get to meet my new neighbours? Um, so I saw an advert for wanting people wanting to host um, Coffee Mornings in aid of Macmillan Cancer Support. 
Um, and that was um, probably more, yes, more than 20 years ago. Um, and uh, I um, started, we just invited local neighbours and friends of mums from schools. And every year the event grew and I've carried on doing it for nearly 20 years now. Um, we started raising about £200 20 years ago. And this last year, which was my final year, because I thought I'd, I'd um, 20 years was a good a good time to, to finish, we raised over two and a half thousand. So if you add that up over that time, it's um, amazing how that can accumulate. And so it's just um, from small acorns, mighty oaks do grow. I mean, it's just a way of start small and then um, you never know where it's going to take you. Um, so, uh, and I've just handed that project over to a, to a neighbor actually, so I can focus on or, or um, think about some other creative ways of, of, of getting involved. And that, that's lovely that it, it's still continuing and you've sort of almost passed on a legacy really of this quite, I imagine this Bake Off style <laughs> event that, that your village has. And, and it's lovely because hopefully it will continue through your neighbor and then passing on to someone else and it just keeps it sustainable really. Um, you've done sort of things with the school, you've done things for the Exmoor Charities in Macmillan. Have you been involved um, with volunteering for, in terms of eye health or helping out at schools? Um, yes, I mean, I uh, um, on occasion will go and speak at schools, um, usually local schools um, that might know me through parents or, or the local community, and I will go and have a little bit of fun, actually. I remember one um, event at a, a local nursery school where we dressed the kids up with big hats and um, and fun sunglasses to get across the importance of UV protection. We made funny faces out of um, brightly coloured peppers uh, to get across the importance of um, lifestyle and diets. Um, and one of my favourite anecdotes is that a young child, when I was trying to engage them in, um, I asked the question, why do we have two eyes? <laughs> and this little three-year-old put their hand up and said, so we don't look like an alien. <laughs> and, and I just think that was, um, you know, that made my day on that particular occasion. I know there is something about, I, I've done a couple of talks, not, not that very many at all. And one of the questions that I do ask the children often is, um, there's something that you probably all will want to do when you get older that requires good vision with driving in mind. And the answers you get from that, mostly it's, oh, I want to be a gamer or <laughs> this and that. Yeah. And I was thinking, uh, not quite what I had in mind, but it is, <laughs> <laughs> it is wonderful to hear the children, what they come back with really. And sort of after the... I guess you're one of your biggest projects that you've been involved in, like you mentioned, is Berkshire Vision. How did you get involved with that? Well, that was so when I um, uh, left corporate life, I was looking to think, well, what next? Um, wanted to give something back, wanted to do something in relation to my expertise as an optometrist. And I was actually at a continuing education event locally where I there was a stand for Berkshire Vision and I got talking to them and they were looking for a new they had no one on their board that had any eye health optometry or ophthalmology um, expertise and they were actively looking for an optometrist or eye health provider um, to join their board and the rest is history I, I got to know the charity um, by volunteering for a few 
um, their activities, such as um, I'm a tennis player, not, not necessarily a good tennis player, but um, a keen tennis player. And so I helped coach um, some of their children with visual impairments for tennis over the holidays. Um, I've been guided on a few rambles because um, I love walking. Um, and then really felt that the charity, um, that I could make a difference, I could help. Yeah. Um, and but also it was local, which was really important to me and um, and very variable of how I could be involved. So so I became involved first as a volunteer and I carry on some of that volunteering still to this day. Um, and then um, I've now been a trustee there for more than well, th about three years. And in this last year, um, I've become chair of trustees which is a next step up and uh, brings its own challenges and rewards. Yes, definitely. So um, like you said, you started off with volunteering and how I imagine it in a sense. And so you've moved on to take a much more active role with the chair of trustees. Sort of, how did you find that step up? Did you, do you feel it's much more work than it would be just to do volunteering? Is it like having a job? Um, Yes and no. I think um, as a trustee, I would say no. I mean, it's not an onerous task at all. Um, it's it, it took me a while to adjust because I was always I've always been a doer, and and I suppose you know I'd always get roll my sleeves up and and like to get involved in the in the operations and the activities and and I quickly learned um, guided by some good mentors that actually that's not what a trustee is about. A trustee is much more about the governance, about good governance and um, strategy. So you need, I needed to do those activities to get me to understand um, the members' needs and um, the um, challenges the staff face. But actually the role of the trustee is much more strategic and much more about the governance. So um, it's been a learning curve. It's still a learning curve for me. And certainly the step up to a chair is much more of a commitment, but I would highly, highly recommend um, thinking about becoming a trustee of charities um, because it is a really, the, the diversity of people you meet, um, the new skills you learn, um, just uh, really surprises me every time. And it's taken me to, to new places and new challenges I, I wouldn't have expected before I joined three years ago. Yeah, and do you find, um, that it's sort of been on par with the experiences you've had in employed work in, in terms of the opportunities that you've had and meeting the diverse people? Yes, I mean, uh, I'm not, um, I suppose, with my work with Johnson & Johnson, you know, that's allowed me to travel all over the world, really. Um, I'm not looking for that anymore. So this is, um, in terms of diversity and richness of people, um, yes, I'm. It, it's, you know, you meet mayors, you meet... Um, uh, you meet young children with um, significant visual impairment who are doing the most amazing things. So you, the range is, 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 is vast and um, that's what's so amazing. Yeah, and I, I imagine sort of with Berkshire, um, vision being fairly small in, in terms of the scheme of charities, um, you get to see the service users or the the recipients of the, the charitable funds um that must be really nice to sort of close the loop 
Yes, no, very much so. And, and you know, and, and another example over lockdown was, um, I suppose lockdown was a, was a huge change for everyone's society, but um, for those that are visually impaired, it was even greater. We couldn't, they couldn't do a Zoom call like we would do to satisfy ourselves, to meet, to meet up with their, keep in touch with their families and things. Zoom was just not out of the question. So it was all about um, trying to find novel ways of, of, of keeping people engaged. And um, over lockdown, I became a telephone befriender to a most amazing 86-year-old lady who lived with macular degeneration. And we we used to speak every week and it was about um, food and um, places we've been to in the past and past travels just to keep both ourselves, I suppose, engaged and connected um, in a world that was shutting down around us. Even though society has opened up, I've, I've still stayed in touch um, through the charity um, and we I probably still speak to uh this particular lady on a monthly basis just to keep in touch and and it's um i think good for both of us oh that's lovely it's almost like you've made a friend through the charity that's just nice and i'm sure she feels exactly the same way i hope so yeah and i suppose that that makes me think as well i mean these sorts of projects are brilliant and there are lots um around the country that um listeners can get involved in i'm sure um but they don't run without any cost and with it being a small charity, do, do you find there's any challenges with fundraising? Yes, no, very much so. I mean, uh, the, the advantages of charities is they can be agile and, and pivot and very quickly when um, prices like lockdown happens, and they can offer a more personalised service to meet local needs. But um, funding is, is, is a really, really big issue for two reasons, really. One is that there's more demand now on the services um, uh, due to an aging demographics. Um, certainly with a visually impaired charity, aging demographics means there will be more people um, with visual impairment later in life. Mm. Uh, also the ongoing confidence issues post-COVID. And so we the demand grows, and but the opportunity for fundraising seems to shrink. Small charities with turnovers, you know, less than half a million actually make up, you know, the majority of the charity sector. Yet um, small and micro organisations only access about less than 5% of the sector's total income. The general public are very, very generous, but they often give to charities whose brands they've seen and advertised and, and are national and have compelling um, adverts and marketing campaigns on a national basis. But these are often unaffordable for most local small charities. So it's, uh, I suppose my plea would be, think local first and, um, you know, really um, think where it is that um, you could either provide your support for fundraising um, and or volunteers in so many, so many different ways. And I think you're right, because I was just thinking as you were talking there, when um, I get accosted in the street from charity workers, if I haven't really heard of the charity, I'm, I almost feel less inclined to give money because you're not sure who they are or, or, or whether you can trust them. And I use that term very loosely. Um, and I am sometimes also taken in by, by a good story. If it's got a very cute puppy on the front, <laughs> I'm probably more likely to take note. And I, and I don't think I'm the only one in the You're not alone. You're not alone in that, and that's a common common across all of us. Yes. So I think I think you're right. Yet 
for your local communities and the people that you're, you know, you're supporting as optometrists, something like your local side loss charity actually is going to be impacting the people you see every day in practice. These are the people that um, might not be able to get help elsewhere or just need that little bit extra. And I think there certainly is much more need now for charities to sort of fill the gaps of support. Um, I mean, obviously the healthcare professionals and, and so on are doing a great job, but just the demand on services nowadays means that charities are really having to step up. So I think you're, you're, you're right. I mean, if, if people wanted to get involved with their, for instance, their local site loss charity, is it, are, they, are they usually happy? Or would, for instance, Berkshire Vision be happy for people to ring up and say, I'd love to volunteer? Can Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure I would speak for all the site loss charities around, um, around the country, um, whether, you know, I mean, we as optometrists, can help with raising awareness uh, of eye health. I mean, you know, even like the coaching, the the children's tennis, you know, as an optometrist, I understand if someone has albinism, um, then, you know, that they will need to make sure they're facing the right way from where the sun is or against the sun. They'll need to make sure that you you know the importance of, of wearing dark glasses and hats for themselves. Um, you understand whether someone's got a peripheral vision issue or whether it's a central vision issue. So those are all things that you can take that expertise out of the consulting room and combine it with your own passion. If you're a golfer, I mean, one of the wonderful experiences I have, I, and I'm not a, I can, I can hack around a golf course, <laughs> so I understand how to play. And, and I often um, um, go out with my family um, but um, I um, helped uh, guide uh, a, a golfer with visual impairment who had Usher syndrome. Um, so they had both hearing and um, sight loss. Mm-hmm. And one of the memorable moments for me was on a par three hole, getting to the green in two. Yeah. Um, I had to describe as his guide, not only guide him um, in, in the usual way, um, by him holding holding um, um, under my elbow. Um, I also had to describe to him how far away the flag was, the distance, the lie of the land. And then when it came to the green, there was a significant slope and he managed to putt, um, he managed to hold the putts and yeah. the screams of delight when he parted this hole and we broke every etiquette in, in in on the golf course that day but I have to say it was it was a, an occasion that will stay with me well and for those um listeners who aren't um that familiar with golf parring just means it's almost like the the score the average score expected I suppose of, of that hole yes, and sir. it's it's a huge achievement um and particularly when you combine sight loss and hearing loss as well um wow and I I, I guess when you're working on that sort of when you're working sort of one-to-one or sort of directly with service users it makes you like you say you you have played golf you are a golfer you must be looking at the golf course in a completely different way yeah I think it's it helped my golf I think because it it, it I had to verbalize before what I probably wasn't I was thinking gosh no it really matters now whether this is 150 meters away or 200 meters because I'm giving that advice you know, I should say this gentleman was a, was a, a reasonable golfer before he, he lost his sight. Um, but um, it's, um, it's great that he's carrying on and, and the ability that he, he, he shows and, and um, uh, with his visual impairment is, is amazing, inspiring. Yes, and, and 
I suppose as well, if you work in a low vision clinic or you have patients with low vision that have particular interests, if you are able to go out and, and help or just experience or just listening to your description now, it, it will make your professional practice that little bit better in terms of being able to help knowing exactly what they need. Yes, I, I, I you know, I, I, I know now if I was back in practice now, I would be better at my job. And I, I, you know, and so I would encourage anyone to go out there and really and, you know, walk in their shoes. Yes. And I think there are um, if you didn't necessarily want to go out on the golf course, there are other um, apps and charitable apps such as Be Specular and Be My Eyes that people can use to help um, guide um, people with visual impairment. So, again, it's sort of being able to do that as well. Um, and that's another way to, to access or to directly help. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, things like um, there are many of these local sight loss charities will do sighted guided training. Um, and, you know, I would encourage that as a useful guide for everyone in the practice, you know, as a, as a, as a staff training exercise, because, you know, when you have your minus 10 myope and you take their glasses off them and go off to clean them or, or adjust them, you know, they, they may need guiding. Yes, you know, and it, it, it opens up to it opens up a whole new area of understanding our patients. No, definitely, that's a really good example. I used to be um, about uh, a minus nine, and like you say, when they went and took my glasses off, I found it really actually quite disorientating. Um, I found it much more difficult to engage with people or talk to people because I couldn't couldn't see. Um, so, just being aware of those sorts of situations can make a big difference. I, I guess I'm really interested as well, you know, you've done so much, you know, you've had a really varied career, you've had a really varied volunteering career. Do you have any plans for the future in terms of taking volunteering? Well, I've got a small plan at the moment, which I suppose combines, again, it's, it's. I think it's, um, when I'm talking about, it's making me realise that my volunteering has morphed with my, my life path. You know, I suppose I have... Um, we all talk about career paths, but actually the wider, longer path is our life path. And, and now I'm, you know, nearing retiring age. My husband and I are looking to downsize. Mm -hmm. And um, so my, my small project I've just committed to is to declutter. And so I've, um, the, uh, there's been a, a successful campaign running uh, called Take On 250, where, which is, um, uh, designed uh, to highlight that 250 people begin to lose their sight in the UK every day. Wow. And so I have committed to decluttering 250 items and any money, some of it will just be donated to charity shops because it can only just be donated. Mm -hmm. But others, other aspects, I if I can sell through eBay or local auctions, um, then I will and all that money will go to Berkshire Vision. So that's my fundraising commitment for the next um, few months. Um, but it also, again, a win-win, you see. I, I need to declutter, but yeah. I can do it to the benefits um, and make something fun. It's all, it's it's thinking through what works for you to help other people. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers certainly I've had when I think about volunteering is, oh, I just didn't have time or it's going to be so much effort. I mean, how would you, what would you recommend or how would you advise our listeners who might be thinking that? Well, it's, I mean, the old adage is, you know, if you want something done, ask a busy person. And it, <laughs> it, you, the, the reality is you just need to be organised. 
keep it simple involve yourself in something that matters to you and that you feel can make a difference it's as simple as that yeah and I think that's it if you're not passionate about it and that goes across the board not just volunteering you you probably won't stick with it and and it's probably not something that you'll continue with but like you say there's so many different levels of volunteering or charity work that you can do to be really involved like you are or just supporting sort of volunteering um, or support every now and again yeah absolutely I mean you know uh, you can organize an event once a year it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be something you do on a weekly basis um, and also it's the, flex, the flexibility of it that I suppose I've really enjoyed. If I look back over my career, it's, it's the volunteering has, has, has moved alongside that. So yes, now my children have left home and yes, I no longer have a, a time consuming global role. Um, but I've kept the flexibility of volunteering throughout that 40 years, um, is, you know that you'll always find something to fit into your available time you can work around holidays you can work around family occasions and it has the ability to enhance your own life path yes definitely I mean sort of uh, I hadn't really thought about it like this before but there, there's certainly so much win-win when it comes to doing charity work or volunteering because you've got you're obviously bringing your expertise and your time um, into it, which is a benefit for the charity, but also you, it sounds like you get so much out of it um, as well for your pers per personally and professionally, it would be. Um, and that it is something that really makes it much more worthwhile. Yes, I think um, it, it's, uh, I, I was trying to think of, of, of I mean, you know, I, I have a lovely family. I have, uh, um, I have had uh, a busy job. Um, less so now, but um, I think it's the, I think volunteering always alongside both those things offered a different, probably less pressurised, mm -hmm. but still allowed me to be creative and dynamic alongside. So it always, I don't know, I, I lifelong learning, I suppose it's, um, it, it very much fits into, into that ethos. Yes, because I suppose the um, role of doctors can be quite routine and having, um, a different outlet to like say be more creative or work with your passions that just yeah. is really nice to enhance your yes. life lifestyle yes it doesn't have to be you know you may want to do something to do with optics and there's some great charities around that that will will snap you up tomorrow the the um um the help for homeless charity the vision action and all the local sight loss charities and there are so many you can use your your um refraction skills or eye health knowledge for but also there are so many other opportunities that you can do something completely different and, and get you outside and, um, and, and follow your own passions. Yes. And I think that's just a, a great advice. Um, what would you say from your years of experience of volunteering was your favorite volunteering story? Oh, that's so hard. Um, there's been so many positive um, uh, experiences, but that one, I suppose one that really comes to mind from an emotional point of view was um, one of the um, trips I did with Vision Aid overseas to Zambia. Right. Um, I had been um, with a um, low vision expert. I've been delivering a um, a train the trainer course where we've been training 
um, lecturers and experienced low vision practitioners in Zambia to be able to train so they could go on and train um, um, in the years to come, people are living in their own countries. Mm -hmm. And we've been living and working um, in Lusaka, which is a very noisy, dusty, somewhat chaotic capital city. And on our way to the airport to go home, we were quite tired. We popped in to visit a small orphanage. Mm -hmm. And we came across this amazing, unexpected oasis of calm that was home to 200 children. <laughs> who had been abandoned and more than half of these children were HIV positive um, and had been abandoned by their families or weren't um, couldn't afford to keep them and this as as we went round, and there were just the three of us there was myself my co-walker and our and our local um, uh, our supporter and as we walked around to be given a tour of these most amazing facilities. They were clean, they were whitewashed, the gardens were well cared for. The children just broke into this spontaneous, joyful song when they saw us. And I think I was so moved by that experience. It was a moment I'll treasure forever. I, I, I will never forget it. So that's that's my most that's one of my most emotional moments. But yeah, I I could list so many more, but that one I think would be my favorite. Yeah, I can I can sort of imagine it in my head, and I just think just how wonderful the how that must have been, and, and a lovely way to sort of end your volunteering trip. Yes, yes, it was. Um, it made all the um, I, I, the hard work, and it was, and it was very tiring, um, but very very worthwhile. Oh, that's that's so brilliant, and this has just been such a wonderful conversation, Jane. Learning about all the different aspects of volunteering that you've done and, and how much time over the years you must have given up to help so many different people and been so effective in being able to do so. Um, I've learned so much about charity works and just how, how accessible it really is. So I just really want to thank you so much for sort of having the conversation with us today. Well, thank you, Denise. And, and for everyone listening, please just go out there and give it a go. Start small, think local and think what matters to you and how you feel you could make a difference, because I know you can. Thank you. Thank you very much. Charitable organisations do provide a vital role in supporting all different types of groups and people. Volunteering is definitely something that we can all get involved in. And as Jane says, it's rewarding and it helps us build connections. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today and I look forward to seeing you next time. Mm -hmm.